<laughs> All right. Man, what an exciting way to start our time together, huh? Man, welcome today. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. And Jack's baptism, wasn't that amazing? Like inspiring, right? I mean, this is why we do what we do. This is why we are a part of God's church, is seeing lives transformed. And so, man, it's super exciting. If you are considering baptism, uh, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're brand new to it and you would like to find out more about it. You can simply text the word next to this number on the screen and someone will be back in touch with you to talk about what baptism is, why we do it the way we do it, and then get you scheduled. So uh, get signed up and get dunked, all right? You don't want to uh, miss that. Well, hey, I want to welcome you this morning. We are in week two of our series called um, Breaking Chains that we started last week. It's a series about recovery. And just to kind of recap a little bit about what we talked about last week, when I say the word recovery, usually we think of like the big things, like when someone uh, is recovering from alcoholism or or drug abuse or something like that. But, But it's actually much bigger than that. That when we think of recovery, we think of our hurts, our hangups, and our habits, right? Our hurts are those things that, those wounds that we get uh, from walking through a broken world. That if you have a relationship with any other human being, you've experienced hurts and you've also dished them out, right? Let's be honest. We, we all have those hurts. And when those hurts get infected, they turn into hangups. Hangups are the deep beliefs that every single one of us have about ourselves, about other people, and about God. That these hangups come from the hurts that we have. And when our hangups take root in our lives, that's when habits come about. You see, habits, uh, we, we put those in place in order to cope with the pain of our hurts, with the pain of our hangups, with the pain of walking through this broken world. They're, they're all connected. There's no habit or hang-up that we have that didn't start first with some sort of wound along the way, that they're, that they're all connected. In fact, my friend Oscar, one of our volunteers in our Celebrate Recovery, uh, is going to share with us a little bit about how his hurts uh, turned into hang-ups and habits. So let's watch this together. I... Uh... I believe my uh, wound started when I was born. I had a, a binge alcoholic father. He, uh, he would drink for days and weeks at a time. He, uh, he was a binge drinker. And uh, because of that, uh, we were extremely poor. We didn't have a lot of security uh, because when my dad would come home sometimes he was okay. Sometimes when he'd come home, he didn't hurt his kids, me and my sister, but he was mean to my mom a lot of times. When I was 13, he, uh, my dad died in our house fire. Our house burned down and my dad died in the fire. And as a result, we had nothing. It, it was hard, it was very hard. All the loss that I went through during that time and, and uh, just, having nothing. I felt like I had nothing left in this world. I didn't have family, possessions, or anything. So because of that, I started reaching out and trying to find friends. And I ended up finding the wrong friends, you know, drinking and smoking pot and all that kind of thing. Just, uh, it relieved uh, what I, it, it gave me some relief, I thought, 
It's the best thing I ever did going to the Navy because it made me grow up. But on the other hand, it turned me into a full-fledged alcoholic and drug addict. I couldn't keep friends. I couldn't, I would do just about anything. I didn't care. It was, and it put me on a path of uh, multiple marriages, you know, broken relationships of all kinds with, with people. And it pretty much just set a bad course for my life. It really did. You see, you may not have the same hurts, hangups, and habits that Oscar does, but we all have hurts, hangups, and habits, don't we? In fact, the, uh, the big idea of this series is this, is that recovery is for everyone. Every single one of us has an opportunity for recovery, and Jesus is for recovery. This is what he came to do. That's why he came, is to help us, to recover us on all levels. This is what he came to do. And so over the last week, many of you have been thinking about what are those hurts, hangups, and habits that I have. Some of you reached out to me. Some of you have been doing the good work of actually writing them down and, and being honest about, yourself, about what's going on inside of you. And the next question, the next logical question is, well, then how do I know when I'm healed? Well, Part of the answer to that question comes in the way that we've defined recovery is this, is that recovery is the with God journey. Now, we don't like this word journey, do we? Like we would love it to be uh, recovery is the with God moment, like the, the with God instance, like the, the with God moment where he snaps his fingers and all of our hurts, hangups and habits go away, but it's not, it's a journey of recovering, of redeeming and restoring those parts of our lives that need healing. And so today, week two, we're just going to take a little bit of a deeper dive. We're going to uh, have story time this morning, so get comfortable. We're going we're gonna to go through a story today uh, about a man who, uh, his journey of recovery. It's a story that you're probably all familiar with, but maybe you haven't thought of it through the lens of recovery. And so as we go throughout this story, we're going to cover a lot of, of text and a lot of content, but I just want you to be asking the question, what about his story resonates with my story? We're going to look at the story of Jonah, all right? So before we turn there and, and dive into it, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for another day, another day that we can uh, wake up and see the beauty of creation all around us, another day that we get to experience your love and your new mercies and your new life that you have for us. And God, now as we just dive a little bit deeper into what recovery looks like for us, God, we ask that you would meet us there with your tenderness and compassion, that you would illuminate for us what it is that you're wanting to do in each of us. And to that, God, we say yes, and we thank you for it. And it's in your good name we pray these things. Amen. All right, Jonah chapter 1 is where we are going to begin. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in verse 1 of, of chapter 1. Now, Jonah, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish 
Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and went down into it uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so now just to recap this, Jonah is sitting around uh, in his house one day in Israel and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to get up and go to this city, this big city, 120,000 people in Assyria, one of Israel's enemies. And he says, I want you to go there and I want you to speak out against it because their sin is clear to me and I want them to turn. So Jonah gets up, doesn't skip a beat, kind of brushes himself off and flees to Tarshish. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of what this means and, and where he was and, and, the, and the, kind of the breadth of, of where he was going. I want to show you this picture of a map. Okay, so there's Jonah and God asked him to go to Nineveh, 550 miles this way. Instead, he's like, I'm going to go the exact opposite way, not only 550 miles, but 2,500 miles. Like, does this picture just represent our lives sometimes. I mean, let's be honest, right? Like this is sometimes what it looks like when God says, hey, I want you to do this. And we're like, "Mm, thanks, but no thanks. Great idea. I'm going to do my own thing. You see, Jonah is on the run. In fact, it's Jonah's hangups that are uh, driving him to run away. Now, we don't see this in in the text exactly, but but we kind of get a good idea of what his hangups are. In fact, if you were to guess, what are those deep beliefs that Jonah has in this moment about himself, about others, and about God? Maybe some of his hangups have to do with, um, man, God, you're asking me to do some crazy stuff. You must not be trustworthy, right? Or maybe it's the Ninevites, they're evil people. They are not worthy of my help. Or, Or God, I know you're asking me to do this, but... I think I know better. Do any of those sound familiar to you? We've all probably thought those at one point or another, right? Those hangups that that just get us stuck. And here he does what all of us do is is we run away. He he literally runs the opposite direction, sails the other way. In in verse 4 it says, he, he gets on a boat, he pays his fare, he goes into the bottom of the boat, and he falls asleep. And it says this in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest or or storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. You see, God sees Jonah caught in his hangups. He sees Jonah running all over the place like a crazy man, and he is going to wake him up. In fact, literally, you see, Jonah goes into the bottom of the ship and he falls asleep. The storm comes upon him. The the whole crew is like losing their minds because they are all convinced that they're going to die. And they're all trying to figure out like, what's going on? Did you do something to take off your God? Did you do something? And they cannot figure it out. They go down to the bottom of the ship. They see Jonah snoring like a baby. And they wake him up, grab him by the collar. They're like, what did you do? Sure enough, Jonah comes clean. He's like, well, let me tell you what I did. Okay, there's this God that I worship, the God of Israel. He asked me to go do this one thing, and I decided not to, and I ran the other way. So sorry to kind of wrap you up all into this, but here we are. Now, this is uh, something that that we've all experienced, right? That when we're stuck in our hurts, hangups, and habits, uh, that that, um, it, it affects those around us doesn't it? It affects everybody around us. 
And so in Jonah 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, he says this. And so he says to them, so pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. You notice something here that Jonah is totally passing the buck. Like he's putting the responsibility on them. Did you see that? He's saying, hey, this is my fault. So why don't you pick me up and throw me into the sea? Why don't you fix it? I mean, can't we do that when we're in our hurts, habits, and hangups? I mean, it, 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 we, we can become master manipulators where now it becomes other people's responsibilities and other people have to, to deal with it. Like, why don't you do this? And so they tried and they tried and they tried. They, they tried to get to shore they, without throwing Jonah overboard. They, they row with all their might, which is actually a, a form of codependency. Here the, the crew is over-functioning to try to control Jonah's situation, right? They're doing all the work for somebody else's issue. They're enabling him. And so they said, okay, well, you asked for it. God, forgive us. They grab Jonah by the scruff of the net like a bad cat and they throw him out the boat. And all of a sudden the storm, the storm quits and it's calm. And now the crew is relieved and they're like, oh my goodness, this is so good. But as you know, things don't end here for Jonah. In Jonah verse uh, 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Notice a couple of things. At the beginning, the Lord brought a great storm. And here the Lord brought a great fish. You see, God will go to extreme lengths, won't he? When we are stuck in our hurts, hangups, and habits. He'll go to extreme lengths to get our attention, even if it's uncomfortable and painful. Why? Because God cares more about our recovery and our health than our own comfort. And here Jonah is what we call in recovery world, hitting, he hits rock bottom. I mean, literally, he's at the bottom of the ocean in a fish. I mean, what would you do if you were there? What would you do? I mean, it, it would be disoriented. It would be fearful. It would be a place of uh, explosion. Like, like your whole world is just kind of unraveled, right? I mean, maybe some of you are, are there right now where, where, where something's come up, where you've just hit a new low, what would you do? You see, here at rock bottom, Jonah is at what we call principle one. Now, in Celebrate Recovery, it, it follows the traditional 12 steps of recovery that many other recovery groups follow. But they also have the eight principles. The eight principles are based on the words of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 5. And we read through these at Celebrate Recovery. And, and the speaker reads the principle, but then the crowd reads the verse that goes along with it. So what I need you to do this morning is work with me, okay? I'm going to read the principle. And then in italics is going to be the verse you read along loud and proud, okay? Now, I know you can do way louder than the first service. Am I right? Thank you. Okay, so loud and proud, read the verse with me. This is where Jonah's at in the belly of the fish. Principle one, realize that I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is, be my life is unmanageable. Ready? 
Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, Matthew 5, 3. I forgot to tell you that. We say the verses also, okay? So we're going to go through some more. You can keep practicing. That was pretty good. That was a good first start, right? You're doing, you're, you're doing all right. But here's Jonah, right? I mean, he realizes when you're in the belly of a fish, like, okay, I'm not God. Okay, I'm not in control. Okay, I cannot manage my own life. Like, it becomes very clear to him. You see, it's totally spiraled out of control. It's totally frightening. It's, it's totally lonely. And what does he do in that moment? He does the same thing that many of us do when we hit rock bottom. He prays. In chapter 2 is his whole prayer. In chapter 2, he says these words. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves, uh, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And the root, at the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it puked him out onto dry land. I think that's a better way to say it, much more visual. Man, this beautiful prayer, right? That Jonah, Jonah's soul just kind of gushes out to God. And here, we actually see him come across three of the Celebrate Recovery principles. Principle number two, it says this, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Ready, your turn. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Principle number three says this. Consciously choose to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek. Matthew 5, 5. And principle number four says this. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself to God and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. You see, good things can happen when you're at rock bottom. Good things can happen when you hit a new low because it offers us a moment of clarity, doesn't it? Like it's clear. I need God's help. I, I surrender to his way. He wants to help me and I'm going to follow him. There's no more pretending at rock bottom, right? There, there's no more pretending. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
You see, one of the things in life, when we're stuck, when we're going through difficulties, uh, we should look at our pains. What are the things that hurt? What are the things that are off limits? What are the things that as you begin to look at them or begin to talk about them, that man, they just, they just throw you on the floor like in pain. Like what are those things? Because it's, that, it's those areas of life where God is wanting to do something. It's those areas of life where he's wanting to speak to you. It's those areas of life that he's wanting to heal. It's those areas of life that he is wanting to bring about new sense of life and freedom in you. Where are you hurting? So back to the story. Jonah gets puked out of the fish onto dry land. God again comes to Jonah and says, hey, get up and go to Nineveh. And so he does. He gets up and he goes. And at that point, we're all like, well done, Jonah. You're on track. Like, you've got your life back on track. I know you made a little detour. I know you kind of made some mistakes. But now you are on track. And he goes to Nineveh, which is principle number five. It says this, voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Matthew 5, 6. That's a good place to be, isn't it? Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, not what I want. You see, Jonah is making progress. And in in fact, in uh, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says this. So Jonah got to the city, and he, and he began to go into the city about a day's journey. And he called out to the people. He says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You see, Jonah's making progress. He goes to this city that's huge. It would take about three days to walk from one end of the city to the other. He walks in about one day's worth. And then he tells them this message that God gave him to tell them. And God is doing amazing things in Nineveh. And here we see Jonah skip a couple of principles. And he gets to principle number eight. It says this. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10. So the word is now preached in Nineveh. In fact, word spreads. It gets all the way to the king. The king of Nineveh hears what Jonah said, that, man, if we don't change our ways, things are going to go badly. We got 40 days to get our act together, or God is going to destroy the city. So the king of Nineveh declares across the city, nobody's eating food, nobody's drinking water, not even your animals. We are all going to be praying and turning our lives back to God. I mean, this amazing thing. Right, that everybody is now, this whole city is, is crying out to God in repentance. Jonah 3.10, it says this, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this is great news, right? 
Like this evil, wicked city with 120,000 people now are, are turning to God and God in his great mercy and compassion has, has relented from the destruction. This is great news. But what is Jonah's response? In chapter four, we see Jonah's response to what God did. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and he said, wah, basically. But he says this, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Like this is why I made haste to flee the other way to Tarshish for I knew I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, Lord, look, look what you've done. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says to Jonah, Jonah, what the heck? Why are you so angry? Do you do well to be angry? Why is Jonah so mad at God? Why, I mean, isn't, shouldn't he be happy? I mean, one of the largest enemies against Israel has now turned and has now submitted to the God of Israel, which now means that they're no longer enemies. Like Jonah not only saved, helped save Nineveh, but now has saved his own country from a, from a terrible threat, from a terrible enemy. Why in the world is Jonah so upset? Jonah, you were doing so well. What happened? You see here, Jonah, he relapses. He relapses into his hurts, hangups, and his habits. You see, his hangups controlled his actions, and it actually distorted his reality. It, it distorted his reality of what God was, was doing in Nineveh. And instead of seeing it for what it was, this miraculous show of God's mercy and love, he sees it as a threat to himself. You see, Jonah had some deep wounds from Nineveh. And, they, and rightly so. They were, they were pretty terrible people. I mean, the city, just to give you an idea, they were ruthless, war-hungry people. They would conquer cities. They would kill many. They would take others and, and open them up, fillet them alive, and stake them down to the desert floor to be eaten by birds. This is Nineveh. Others, they would cut off their ears and gouge out their eyes just to torture them. Others, they would, they would skin alive and hang out the city walls. I mean, this is the place... You see, Jonah had some deep, deep, legitimate hurts when it came to Nineveh. Enemies of God, enemies of Israel. I mean, who knows? We don't know this from the text, but there's a chance that, that Jonah knew people that were killed or tortured from the Ninevites. Maybe it was in his family tree. I don't know. Maybe his great-great-grandpa died at the hand of the Ninevites or was tortured by them. And, and since then, those hurts, those hang-ups, those habits have, have traveled down the family tree. We've certainly seen that in our own lives, haven't we? Those hurts, hang-ups, and habits that, that stick around a, a family tree that, 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 that one generation can easily pass on to the next you see, he had some hang-ups also about Nineveh, some, some deep-seated beliefs about them. I mean, he didn't believe that they deserved God's mercy. That was his 
hang-up, one of his hang-ups, that they were beyond help, that, that God shouldn't help them, that, that he, that, that Jonah should be the judge, that he should be the jury and the executioner. That, you see, these hang-ups just sort of drove Jonah to this crazy spot of anger. You see, the, the principle that Jonah missed was, was principle six. Principle six is a, a heavy one. It's a, it's a hard one. It says this, evaluate all my relationships Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful, happy are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 7, and 9. I mean, we like to skip this step, don't we? Like, can't we just work on our habits? Like, can't we just, can't we just work on, on avoiding the, the things that, that, that are keeping us stuck. You see, one of the strongest forces that will keep you stuck is unforgiveness. That will keep you stuck more than anything else. It's like that infected wound, that that cancer that just sort of eats from the inside. This is when you experience freedom in life. Like when, when you start to make some progress and then something happens and bam, you're right back to square one. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made a promise to God or other people and then, and you're doing good for a while and then bam, you revert right back? Oftentimes it has to do with this step, that, that there's probably some unforgiveness going on in here. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe that wound was 40 years ago and you've done a really good job of avoiding it or forgetting about it. Let me ask you this. Who do you need to forgive? A parent? A family member? Your schoolmates? Your ex, yourself. You see, we can't just try to avoid destructive habits without doing the deeper work. I mean, this is usually how we approach recovery, isn't it? Is that when I struggle with alcohol or overspending or overeating or losing my temper or codependency or workaholism or or chemical dependency or or being on social media all the time or or playing video games 100 hours a week or whatever it might be, like we can try to avoid those things. We can try to trick ourselves. We can try really, really hard not to do them and even start to experience a little bit of freedom. But until you actually experience the healing of the hurts that led you there in the first place, you will always come back to it. You're never truly free. If you struggle with pornography, it's easy to get an internet filter, to get an accountability partner, to learn to bounce your eyes away from tempting situations. You can even avoid engaging in porn. You can throw your computer away for for all you know, right? I mean, and hear me, those are all good steps, and maybe some steps that some of us need to do, but until you find healing from the wounds that brought you there in the first place, you're still stuck just like Jonah. In fact, Jack's story, he shared a bit of it with his permission. He allows me to share a little bit more. You see, he tried for over 60 years to kick some of these habits 
of sexual addiction. Like he, he worked hard. He, he dug in and, and what turned into from, from, from working hard to, to then just kind of going incognito to, to living double life, to, to hiding a lot of these things that, that none of it actually worked. Why? Because he had to go deeper. He had to go to the painful wounds that he experienced as a kid, as a young adult and, and throughout life. And as he unearthed these wounds and brought them before Jesus, offering forgiveness for those things, start learning how to to do that, acknowledging the wounds that he's caused because of his hurts, hangups, and habits. You see, that's when he's able to finally start finding freedom. And when we bring those hurts before God, forgiving others and receiving forgiveness, as we forgive those past things, as we uh, make amends for those things that we've done. When our wounds find healing, hurts and hangups, hangups and habits are just no longer necessary. They're just no longer necessary and they can just kind of fall away. And here's the beautiful thing is, remember when we were talking about family trees and how Hurts, hangups, and habits can follow a family tree. You have the opportunity to break that. You have the opportunity to, to break that cycle in, in your family, to actually change the course of your future family tree. And that's what Jesus offers us. That it's by his wounds that we are healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, so much of Jonah's story resonates with each of us. God, Jonah's story is our story. God, we've all found ourselves running from you. We've all found ourselves making two steps forward and four steps back. And God, in your goodness, in your kindness, in your love, you continue to to call us further. And God, that you desire to bring about deep freedom in each of us. It's just mind-blowing to me. It speaks of how good you are. God, that you desire recovery in each of us. So God, I pray for those who are there that they would experience those deeper levels of of new freedom. For, For those who are here, God, who or maybe still not sure if they want to follow you, or or maybe today they're deciding for the first time to follow you. God, we thank you that the invitation's always open, that it's simply a matter of of coming to the end of ourselves, realizing who you are, that, that we are in need of your saving and that you give it to us freely. God, we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and would like to talk with someone, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can text the name Jesus to the number on the screen and a a real life person will get back in touch with you, answer questions you have or pray with you, all right? Every week we spend time remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. His wounds that give us freedom. His body that was broken and given for you. Let's remember it together. And his blood poured out for you. Let's remember together.
Friends, we're going to stand and sing together in response to our good God. If you would like prayer this morning, we're going to have people in the back corner who'd love to pray with you about whatever it might be, whatever's going on in your world. So let's stand together as we sing.